Blog Talk Radio. Marty Oakley of the PPJ Gazette Online, and this is the TS Radio Network. Our show tonight is brought to you by whistleblowerlife.com, and you can contact them at marcel at whistleblowerlife.com or use the chat option on the site. The site is under construction, so just bear with us while we get this thing up and running. Uh, I shouldn't say us, Marcel. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, we're promoting her all the way. Whatever she's doing, we're in. And uh, so, like I say, check it out. It's whistleblowerlife.com. And if you feel like it tonight, you have any questions, there's so many of you on the board here, uh, feel free to call in at 917-388-4520 and hit the number one once Blog Talk answers to get put in the queue so I know you want to speak. And all of this information is in the promo. Like I say, the live links to whistleblowerlife.com are there and to Marcel to contact her directly. Or as I said, use the chat option on the site. It is under construction, so bear with her. Anyway, our guest tonight is Deidre Gilbert. And I met her a few years ago at the summit. And she's quite an impressive woman. And She's running for governor, or trying to, in Texas. Now, she's done some stellar advocacy work. Um, she has just accomplished some major things. And for her to be excluded from this election, which is what they are attempting to do, is nothing short of fraud and corruption. And the way they've gone about it is also. So without further ado, here's our guest, Deidre Gilbert. How you doing, Deidre? I'm fine. How are you, Marty? It's been a long time. <laughs> a yes, long time. it has. Yes. yes, it has. But we've we've both been so busy, and you know, I've directed some cases to you there in um, Texas uh, to see what you could do on, you know, for patient advocacy and things, and yes. which I guess you did help on. I don't get into it once it's passed. I don't figure it's any of my business. But um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, I, you know, I just leave it that way <coughs> excuse me and um but you're currently running for governor in texas or attempting to can you talk about that a little bit okay so basically you know i started uh i've been a, i was a democrat pretty much uh all my life and as i tell everybody you know i I believe that we we choose parties some kind of way based on, you know, other people's um, rendition of what we should be Mm -hmm. voting for. You know, looking at my mom, my mom ran as a Democrat, and, um, you know, just basically I guess that's what it was. So while I, when I first began to to run, I, I was just told that I wasn't a viable candidate pretty much. And, um, and why was that? 
Well, they base viability based on money, on how much oh, money okay. one can raise. So that's that was their rendition of what a governor is all about: is raising oh, money. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, basically, nothing else. But that was, you know. Plus, yeah. There had never been a, a black African female uh, running for governor in the state of Texas. Oh, my God. So, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, it's it's a long, long story, but I'm like, wow. Yeah. So there were yeah. six of us at the time across the, the states who decided, you know, you know what, this we can do a breakthrough. Uh, first time in history, you know, we, we maybe we can get some things changed. But we found out that we really weren't wanted. Um, ah. in in the arena. So many of those females that were with me no longer, uh, some dropped off the race, some were pushed out the race, some were not chosen with their parties, and um, some of us are still standing or trying to stand anyway. Yeah. I was talking to one of the young ladies out of Tennessee who is also an independent candidate this, today, and, um, you know, fortunately for her, the the stakes are not that bad for an independent candidate because all they needed is 25 to get 25 votes no matter what position or 25 nominating petitions, signatures, right? Uh, no matter right. what position. Well, in the state of Texas, uh, they require 83,000-plus oh. signatures. Uh-huh. Yes, as uh-huh. an independent candidate. I'm going to uh-huh. say probably two two or three days before um, the deadline was to uh, to end for you to, you know, to run for office, yeah. I decided to change to an independent candidate because uh-huh. I was being uh, ostracized. I was being pushed out. Fake polls were being created, you know, uh, showing yeah. the two gov- you know, gubernatorial candidates, Beto and Abbott, that they were the only ones that was running. And they were uh-huh. literally squeezing me off the grid. Right. So I was like, you know, do I really want to just stay on the ballot? Because I already knew that, you know, during the primaries, that's where most of them get their base. That's right. how they get to the general election. So I was like, do I want to do this or do I just want to get, you know, do I really want to run? So right. I said, I really want to run, so I switched. Not really knowing, Marty, what I was getting myself into because, uh-huh. as, you know, I thought it was going to be easy, you know, being an independent yeah. candidate. And I'm like, wow, you know, I can step out here on my own and, you know, get some support. And that didn't happen. That ah. didn't happen. Um, okay. I found out some things about, you know, an independent candidate that, you know, we as independent candidates, there is no party. There's no right. party association to it. So you don't have uh, to fight for you. You don't have uh, the groups of people with all of the money who want to push and give you money to push you on your way. Uh, so, you're out there really on your own. 
You're on your own. Okay. And you have to really figure out the system. So I had to really do a lot of research as to, you know, what was needed for me, how I was going to get what I needed to get done. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, this is going to be a task. But because I had already been out and about around the, you know, Texas, I had been out as a Democrat, people knew who I was. Right. And I thought that they were very excited. Matter of fact, I think they were more excited than ever to just know that somebody else was running. Right. Many of them were so disappointed that I was not on the ballot as a Democrat, you know. And I told yeah. them that, you know, I had to make a change because they were pushing me out. So right. it started early in my campaign where the Democratic Party, you know, uh, pushing me out. Um, no TV coverage, no media coverage, no, you know, so I had to reach out to private entities and private people and people who had their own private TV stations um, to help me get my message out. Right. And when we first started, we were on the money. I mean, you know, getting a lot of hits. And then it began to start where press releases were being uh, rejected. Uh, We were pushing our press releases. And, yes, my press releases were getting rejected, claiming they didn't do political stuff. And, you know, we were real confused. (laughs) I'm like, wow. So it was a whole lot of underhanded evil stuff going on where it started just pretty early that I wasn't who they wanted. Uh, as you know, Beto didn't tell anybody what he was doing until December. I had been out uh, July of 2021. Yes. Uh, the only person out there uh, letting people know I was running, going across the states, and they literally just did not want me, period. So they begin, as I said, a suppression campaign, and um, – suppressed me as much as they could. And I'm telling you, no local newspaper would touch it. Still, no local newspaper won't touch it. And um, that's, you know, we, I got a lot of, I got some national attention of CNN, MSNBC, Yahoo, uh, The Griot, um, and uh, a couple of other people who, were national coverage, but right. it didn't last for long. You know what I'm saying? Not a, not yeah. enough where I could get what I needed. Um, so that's where I was, you know, just out here trying to figure out the streets of an independent candidate, as I can say. Yeah. And so that's where it started, and that's where I ended up. Now... Oh. At this particular point in time, you know, I was talking to you about I haven't had the opportunity as an independent candidate to really do a lot of campaigning because when uh, I found out that we had to have 83,000 signatures, you know, I'm thinking, Uh wow, this is going to, you know, that's not going to be too hard. Hey, we got, what, 18 million, 26 million people in the state of Texas. Come on now. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we only had less than 2 million to vote in the primaries. 
So I'm saying 24 oh. million people are out there. Wow. Yeah. We ought to be able to get this. And it wasn't, that wasn't it. We couldn't do anything until after the primaries. And then after the primaries, if there was a runoff, we had to wait. So I only had between less than 45 days to try to get 83,000 what they call wet signatures. Uh-huh. Not online, but going house to house door to door. and physically letting someone yep. sign paperwork. Yep. So I'm out there, you know, we're out there trying to trying to do this, this, and I'm seeing across the states where other gubernatorial candidates were being pushed off the ballot, and that most of it had to do with the uh, the petitions. Right. So I'm wondering, you know, I said something something is not right. So I remember when I ran in 2018, I was having the same, pretty much the same issues where I found out that uh, the candidates, some of the candidates did, had not paid their filing fee, nor did they have their petitions. But when we found out, it was actually too late to do anything about it. It was after the primaries. They were already on the ballot and primaries was over with. So, therefore, okay. we didn't have any way to do anything anything about it. So I had a little knowledge of what agencies and how your parties didn't have what we call prosecutorial powers to keep anyone off the ballot. Several cases within the Harris County area where uh, I live, where they had uh, cases in the court where they had uh, told the Democratic Party and Republican Party that they didn't have the power to keep individuals off the ballot. And at that particular time, I really didn't understand the logistics of it until now. But uh, I did know that they didn't have the power to keep a person off. So when time came, when when it was time for us to turn in our applications, you know, I had to do a lot of research because – in Texas, for some reason, didn't have anything um, in one area. It was like a puzzle. Um, you got the Texas Election Code. You got the Texas Election Code, and you have all of all of that. And so we, uh, you have the Texas Election Code. You have all of that, and and so therefore, I didn't have. Um, um, no knowledge of all of this stuff, but nothing okay. was together, Marty. All of the election codes was fragmented. It was like separated. So you really okay. didn't know. They gave us like a one-sheeter for uh-huh. independent candidates. They, tell, they told us, well, you know, this is what you have to do. You have to turn in, you know, a declaration of intent that you're going to run. And we had to do all of this at the same time that the major parties did it. Now, the major parties were allowed to, to, you know, get their uh, information. For me, I couldn't get it done. You're fading out there, Deidre. Hold on. Hold on one second. Okay. I'm have to... You just spoke about know. that 83,000 signatures that you needed, even if you were able to get them. Uh, it's an extraordinarily high number. 
and uh, to get yes, people to sign. Very. And, but the other right. thing is every one of those wedding signatures has to be verified by the Secretary of State's office. And we found this well, out. That's, that's the trick of the trade. Yes. Now, that's what and, they tell you. Now, that's what they tell yeah. you, that these things have to be checked, right? So yep. another trick that they came up with, Marty, was that they didn't tell us that once we started getting the signatures, that if that person voted in the runoff and that name so happened to get on our ballot, then it would become void. So when you turn in your petitions, just let just let's say you had, you know, they can come up and tell you that you didn't have enough signatures because they they don't allow of the candidates to review when they're supposedly doing what they do, uh, as they call it, reviewing these petitions. You don't have the right to go in. You don't have any knowledge of whether or not they're telling the truth or not. Um, oh, so it's you know, just they say so. It, yeah, they it's, so it's to what they yeah, say. Okay. And so right. you, don't have that, you don't have a right to, to even review what they're claiming that they're reviewing. Now, here's, here's what was crazy is because in 2017, Greg Abbott had um, – he wrote a he he re, he uh, did a bill called Senate Bill 44, which was an amendment to one of the Texas election codes, and and basically it simply stated that petitions did not have to be reviewed for validity unless someone challenged it. So, just think of that sentence. Just just listen to that sentence. Petitions okay. do not have to be reviewed. Unless someone challenged them. So, and okay. I'm like, hold on, that's not making much sense. <laughs> okay, Deidre, Deidre, so what does that mean, challenges? Yes. Like somebody said, no, they don't want you on the ballot, or you should right. be on the ballot? They have to come up right. and bring a charge like that. Okay. Right. Now, okay. here's the thing. So, when you turn in your applications, uh, there's another law that says if, though, it says if you turn in a petition with your application, then the petitions become part of the application. So that's an if okay. word, which means that first of all, first you tell me I must, but then the election code says if, if you do it, that's... Then, <laughs> then it becomes part of the application. Now, so if you don't do it, then that simply means that it's two separate entities. So I kept saying, okay. well, what is, what, is the purpose, what is the purpose of you wanting these signatures then? So if I don't give them to you, okay, what are you going to do, right? Because right. you're telling me on the other end, too, you don't really need them unless someone challenged them. Well, who knows to challenge them? <laughs> who's out there asking this question? <laughs> so I'm saying, well, who who knows that I'm turning in my petitions today, right? Right. And there who's, you go. who's who's saying, uh oh, I need to challenge her petitions because 
she don't have all that she needs. So here's what they were doing. And they're probably they've been doing this across the states for forever. So the application is what they use for you to get on the ballot. The petitions were what they used as ammunition to keep you off. Oh, slick. <laughs> <laughs> now, you don't know that. Okay. We don't know that. So we're turning in these petitions, and Texas do, they, they say they have five days. So they take a five-day period. Now, this five-day period is supposed to be for reviewing, right? Now, here's the question again. What are you reviewing if Greg Abbott just wrote the bill that says you don't have to review them unless someone challenged them? (laughs) So what are you looking at for five days? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So basically the parties, the, the the Secretary of State, Whoever whoever is your election um, um, nears, you know, the ones who's over your elections, the Secretary of State, the Democratic Party, Republican Party, Commissioner's Court, whoever it is that accepts your applications, they're the ones who were reviewing, but they were also the ones who were doing and looking for deficiencies. Now, is that their job? No, it was not. Because all they were supposed to do is look at it for face value, by facial, just look at it, and that's it. Review and reject. That's what they say. It's called review and reject. So I decided, okay, we're not going to get no 83000 That's not going to happen. Well, they knew that. They knew that when they set that number. Right. That. They knew that already. We had talked to yep. several people trying to figure out, you know, uh, even trying to go get some people to go out there and gather these signatures. It would have cost us over a million dollars to try to do that. And I was saying, Mm-mm, that's a waste of money because yeah. even if we did get it, we don't even know who's looking at this stuff behind closed doors. We already know that Greg Abbott had already said that you don't have to review them unless someone challenged them. So I'm saying basically what you have us doing is busy work. Yes. Keeping us busy, knowing that you're not going to get it. And even if you got it, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at it and we're going to, you know, the party or whoever it is, we're going to look at it and we're going to find something wrong with it. And we're going to share that information to your opposing candidates. How <laughs> slick is that? <laughs> so I'm like, that's not going to work for me. So I'm figuring out the scheme, right? They didn't expect for me to find out what the scheme was. So I found out how this scheme was working, and I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to do it. So I started asking some questions and uh, about my opposing candidates, the two gubernatorial candidates, Beto and uh, Abbott. And Mr. Beto O'Rourke had not paid his filing fee. 
and the Greg Abbott, <laughs> Governor Greg Abbott said that he had turned in 10,000 petitions that we were unable to verify. So we got two candidates who didn't qualify with the statutory requirements, but you're telling me that I need to go out of here and try to gather 83,000. I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, well, how come, Deidre? <laughs> <laughs> so I file a complaint, right? I file a complaint with the Democratic Party, Republican Party. I'm telling them, look, now, lo and behold, I, I paid a filing fee when I was running for Democrat, $3,750 that they didn't give back to me. So I'm like, hey, I must be the only candidate. I'm I'm really the only candidate because I'm the only one that really paid some money in this whole entire thing. The other two <laughs> candidates got away with getting on the ballot without having, without qualifying the statutory qualifications which is you got to have petitions or you got to pay your filing fee so i'm saying so what you did on greg abbott's so, side Deidre, so, Deidre, so it's, it's an either or either the petition the signatures or no pay the fee no one or the other now see, no, it, both. so it is so it is for major parties but not for the independent party we don't have a choice to pay the filing fee now, a write-in candidate does, but write-in candidate can pay a filing fee, or they can give you 5,000 signatures, just like the major party. Now, why is that? Yeah. Well, why but can't we just write you in? Party, oh, no, because writing no. in <laughs> would mean that the person would have to actually, you know, know how to spell your name. Oh, I see. And so what people didn't understand is, and then what we were finding out is, the filing fees were being used to pay for the party's debt. So I'm going to just say in Texas, when the election is about to start, the primary, they get, before it starts, they have to give a budget to the state of how much they think it's going to cost for the primaries. And guess how they pay that back? Out of your out of your fees. fees. Out of yep. those filing fees that we're paying that with that money. And they pay their salaries, they pay rent. And so this is what happened. So I didn't turn in anything. So they were, like, upset with me because they was like, well, she didn't turn in any signatures. She can't be on the ballot. And I'm saying, well, no, you can't tell me I can't be on the ballot. You don't have that power. So the Secretary of State decided that they weren't going to follow the law, Marty. They just told me, you're not going to be on the ballot. Oh. Now, in the state of Texas, they must, they, must have the, you, they must have that immunity thing going for them that where they can break the law and they don't get prosecuted just like the judicial system. That must be what it yeah, is. They have, yeah, they have immunity, but the law says in Texas, and the Supreme Court just ruled on this because the Libertarian Party, uh, her name is Whitney Bill, uh, Bilyeu, 
she is the the a libertarian um chairperson, right? So basically, she had 44 candidates, and she refused to declare them ineligible when they didn't pay their filing fee because she knew the rule says that she didn't have the power to keep them off. Now, everybody uh-huh. else is using that, right? So the Democrats okay. have been using it, the Republicans have been using that rule, and also the Secretary of State. They're picking and choosing their their candidates who they want to do this with. So she said, I'm not going to do it. If somebody doesn't want them on the ballot, then they need to be challenged. So just recently, within the last two weeks, the Supreme Court came back and stated, without a declaration of ineligibility from a court, you cannot keep a candidate off the ballot. Well, guess what? The Secretary of State is telling me they don't care. Oh, no. (laughs) The Supreme Court has said, I'm not going to be on this ballot. Oh, wow. Uh, Okay. So I had to write. So I had to file. So basically, I wasn't supposed to file because I had the deficiency. Beto or Abbott was supposed to file you know, and request that I be taken off the ballot. Well, they chose not to because they didn't want to bring any uh, any news to them, right? They didn't want it, nobody to know that I was running. They want to keep me off the grid because they knew had they filed, that's going to come out in the news. So okay. they chose to keep it. So here is the trick. I don't think candidates know this, but once you turn in your your um, application in, in, in Texas. I don't know about the other states, but once you turn in your application, you are in what they call a 45-day suspense stage. So okay. from the time you turn your application in, you have – whoever wants to challenge you have 45 days to do that challenge, Okay. And basically, the challenge amounts to them trying to keep you off the ballot. Is it they challenge ballot, right. you keep you off? Okay, go ahead. Right, and it has to come from an opposing candidate, though, not the Secretary of State, not the Democratic Party, but from an opposing candidate, someone who says, um, you know, they didn't have enough signatures. But again, where did you get the information from? You had to get it from somebody told yeah. you that they didn't have. So. You find out because they claim that it becomes public record when you turn this in, right? So you tell them you you file a petition in, in the district court, and then you give one to the Secretary of State. And that goes to the court, and the court does an expedited hearing on it. And uh, if you didn't have what you're supposed to have, then the district court is supposed to just let it go, you know, sign off on it since you can't okay. be on the ballot. It's a simple okay. task. They just do that, but it costs money on their end. So they decided we're not going to do it because we don't want nobody to know about Deirdre Gilbert. We don't want nobody to know nothing. So I had to file so that they would not try to keep me off the ballot. Okay. And... That's crazy because I wasn't supposed to do that. 
But in order for me to bring light to the situation, I had to file. Now, this wasn't, I had just learned this because there was another independent candidate running on the congressional field who in 2018, who I met along the way, where it happened to him, and he just so happened to tell me what to do. Oh, wow. And he was able to get on the ballot. Now, he was able to get on the ballot, but it was still a fight because even after Judge ruled and said that you couldn't keep him off, the Secretary of State told him they weren't going to put him on there either. That just So they don't care. <laughs> so basically... I, I just so don't even know what to say to that. I, I don't know. It's, so I'm in a battle right now. So... They put the bulldogs out on me. No. On the 45th day, on the 45th day, I'm in court because we filed July the 11th. For 45 days, nobody said a word. 44 days. On the 45th day, I get an email at 6 o'clock in the afternoon from some attorneys telling me that he was the attorney for the Secretary of State and that he had filed a motion to dismiss in the district court because they knew the timeline. There's a timeline for them to be able to kick candidates off. And they knew that they had to have said something prior to, but the problem was Secretary of State wasn't supposed to say a word. They're not responsive. should have been the candidates. Okay. So they went into overdrive. So they put their, <laughs> the office of attorney general was their, is their attorney. And they, they put them out on me. You know, the big dogs came out. And uh, I tell you, Marty, some criminal activity in the district court, but they didn't know that I did that I I had a background of political science, so they 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 thought I was. Uh, they kept calling me a pro se, you know, when you pro se, because I couldn't find an attorney. No attorney wanted to touch it. Nobody wanted to fight, you know, the state of Texas. The Secretary of State, nobody wanted to fight Greg Abbott or Beto. Nobody wanted to do anything. And so I had to file for myself. But they didn't expect for me to know or have knowledge of the law. <laughs> and they would, so they kept saying, oh, uh, uh, she's pro se. And I had to ask, I said, well, what does, what does pro se say? simply mean to you because pro se didn't say that you were without knowledge. You know, like right. because you right. don't have an attorney, you don't understand. And so they couldn't get me the right way. So on August the twenty sixth was the deadline for them to have some the to, to get you off the ballot. Well they knew they didn't have they couldn't. Nobody filed a petition, right. nobody summons me, no nothing. Nothing's only me. I did that part, but not not one candidate. So what they did was 
they started working with the clerks to change my date, my due date, my dates of court dates. So I had a court date for an expedited appeal or expedited uh, appeal in the courts. And he called a clerk and got my my case striked. Who did that? It was right the one of the attorneys. No, the one of the attorneys with the with the office of attorney general. He okay. and and I don't know if he knew, but I was getting emails from him asking the judges if they would strike my case. Oh my god! And I'm like, what? Yes. And asking the clerk to assist. So the day that we were supposed to have our expedited hearing, they changed the court, the the court. And the judge, because that particular judge knew what was going on. They knew that they were late. They knew that they hadn't filed. So instead, they went and found a judge that had nothing to, didn't know nothing about my case, and tricked her okay. in taking, and in, in, into hearing it. So oh, instead of her, so you know, I get in the court right, and then she tells me. So she dismissed the expedited hearing. She denied it. But she told me, you know, because I was trying to get on the ballot, that that was a, a, a matter of law, so she was not going to rule on that. Now, the rule said that it was never supposed to even leave the district court. Okay. But she, 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 but she wouldn't sign off on the final, the final order that I wanted her to sign off on. Because she said she was running for office. Oh, oh good God. <laughs> you should have said, I hope you don't have trouble getting on the ballot. <laughs> okay. So she allowed me to, to move to the appeals court where we are now. And um, that's where we are, in appeals court. I don't know why I'm still sitting in appeals court because today – you know, I uh, I filed a writ of uh, mandamus uh, asking the appeals court to rule and to, you know, to grant me being on the ballot because, I mean, basically, the law is the law. I mean, it's in black and right. white. It tells them exactly what they have to have, which they don't have. So I'm not sure why we're just sitting there. You know, where they won't yeah. go ahead and rule. And they know, well. so they're trying to keep me there, I guess. I don't know why they're not moving and not moving in an expeditious manner because they, uh, when you're doing an election case, you're supposed to move pretty fast, and that's not happening. So wow. the first attorney... <laughs> He gone. The second one lied. Uh-huh. And uh, when they had the motion to dismiss on the 30th, he lied to the judge and told the judge that my case in the appeals court had been um, dismissed. And I, because I told the judge that she didn't have jurisdiction. She wasn't supposed to even rule on my case as long as I was in appeals court. Now, we're talking about in the district court where they were trying to do a motion to dismiss my case. Okay. Do you know that she dismissed it anyway? 
Still and then at five thirty, yeah, at five thirty in the afternoon, I get a CC from her and her attorney asking the attorney with the uh, office of attorney general to send her the dismissal that he referred to in court earlier. And guess what he told? What? I apologize, Judge. It wasn't a dismissal. It was denial. Oh, wow. I'm sorry I was unclear. So she ruled without having jurisdiction. Oh. And and then it wasn't really a denial because I had requested a stay pending appeal. The clerk of the appeals court sends the attorney saying that it was not even de- it was denied, and I'm like, wait a minute. What do you mean denied? On letterhead. No judge had even heard the case. Do you hear me? And he so happened to get this letter at 15 minutes to 2, 15 minutes before our court date. Our court started, my, the hearing. Now, how is that possible? Now, nobody else got this but him. Now, she didn't ask him for it, and then now you rule. So I, I sent her the final order again. I said, okay, now that you know that this attorney has lied to you and misled the court, you need you have to file, you have to sign off on this order. Marty, she didn't sign off. Yes. Instead, oh, wow. just closed my case in district court. <laughs> so now I got him on fraud up on the court. I'm like, what is this? So basically, they well, I, they, they don't. They, that, they, that's pretty much what I'm going so, Why are they so desperate to keep you off that ballot? Because as an independent candidate. I have the ability to take away votes because, you know, that's what they are. You're going to take away yeah. all the votes and for from yeah. Beto. Yeah. And I'm like, what you mean from Beto? I'm taking votes for both of them. It yeah. doesn't really matter. So they are afraid of that. You know, they don't care if the other parties get on the ballot. Right. They don't care for writing a candidate. But there has never, there has not been a, a independent candidate since, 2006, and that was when Kinky Freeman and uh, Carol Strayhorn, she, they were on there, but they had to fight in court to get on there. But do you know the last time before that? 1876. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Since an independent county, not one, we're talking about just being on the ballot. And you know that thing about taking votes away from these two major parties. Uh, mm-hmm. What that all that tells me is that you know they don't have that much going for them anyway. And so if somebody right. like you comes along, they might mm-hmm. you know as they say take votes away from them. But if they're so sure of their position, why would they be worried about it? Absolutely, you know? and that's what I said. I said I'm not really worried about the competition. You do you. But here's another yeah. thing: I'm a female. I'm a black yes. female. 
No, now these no, parties have not. these parties <laughs> these parties have um have gotten the black votes in several of the okay. counties. So Uh-oh. they know that if the people knew about me, right, that that wasn't going to happen for them. Right. So this is the one of the reasons why I'm getting no media coverage. You know, uh, I'm not invited to anything. Matter of fact, there is nobody, you know, no independent groups that's having, you know, little things like the, you know, Democrats having this or Republicans having that where you can go and show your face. It's just not there. And I can't show up to a Democratic or Republican event. Be looking at me like, who? What is she doing in here? Yeah. Wow. So, I'm just out here, you know. And like I, I'm telling everybody, this, you know. No, I didn't turn in the petitions. However, like the Supreme Court says, they had an, they had an available mechanism that could have kept me off. Right. And all they had to do was file that in court. Okay, that was just that simple. But instead, they chose not to because they didn't want to bring any any kind of coverage to me or the fact right. that they had been deficient themselves. You know, so they didn't yeah. want anybody digging in their little cookie jar. So basically, they said, "Well, you know what? We're going to keep quiet." But this is not the first time, Marty, because as you know. Working um, with the medical malpractice and the issues, it's the same, same dirty, yes. low-down tricks. Agencies yep. that we go to that's supposed to help you with, um, you know, with all of this fraud or you're supposed to be able to file a complaint. Uh, right. None of them are ready. Ain't nobody trying to help you. Okay? No, that nobody's not. trying to help you. Uh, in fact... I was threatened by the Texas Ethics Commission told me that if I filed another complaint that they were going to uh, find me $10,000. So guess what I did? I filed another one and told them to come for it. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I'm like, I said, find me $10,000. I said, I don't think so. So I filed another complaint. I'm like, okay, you do what you do. Yep, there you go. So they left me alone. But I did have to file, I did file a federal complaint with the feds. I did file a complaint with the Texas Rangers. I did file a complaint with uh, the uh, the courts, uh, the district attorney's office uh, against the two clerks that was working in conjunction with these attorneys uh, underneath the cover when they weren't supposed to. So... I have a lot of complaints out there. We got it in court, but if it's making any difference, I'm not real sure. Um, you know, because like I said, it, it, it to me it would have seemed that they would have been doing something. Um, yeah, they would be doing. Well, but it's like you different. said, Deidre. These agencies that you're supposed to be able to go to for help are actually running protection from the people that are harming you. Well, they it just, for them. Yeah. I mean, you got the Texas election. You have the uh, Secretary of State who is, in, who is uh, appointed by the governor. You have your uh, 
Texas uh, Office of Attorney General, we're finding out that they're the attorneys for the Secretary of State. I mean, oh, where shit. where do you get the so where do you get out of the vicious cycle? Yeah, that's just. And the thing is, that's what we found out, like in guardianship, uh, and all of this is you go to one agency. They send you to the next one who sends you to the next one, and you end up in this hamster wheel getting back to the same agency you originally went to. But none of them will go against the other. And, no, uh, because even, you know, I even solicited the help of an FBI agent when we were finding out that there were some other criminal activities going on on uh, the end of Beto's side. And, uh, we filed a complaint with the Texas, uh, Texas Office of Attorney General, but <laughs> did they do anything? No, because they are the the legal representation of the Secretary of State. We're like, how are we supposed to get anything done? Everybody's that's the whole connected. Point. You're not. Yeah, that's the whole no. point. You're not. You're supposed to think you are, yeah. but they'll run you to death going through all these stages and hoops and mm-hmm. jumping all these fences only to find out that they were all set against you to begin with. Right. And that's what they're, that's what I believe that they're doing today. You know, now while we're sitting in appeals court, you know, just trying to uh, pencil whip you, you know, or typewriter yeah. whip you or whatever you want to call it. Oh, till you get tired and you just don't do anything else. Right. But, uh, right. Everything they asked me for, they got it, <laughs> and got it on time. So, and every everything come through there, you know, because I can file just like an attorney does. So okay. I was able to, you know, e-file, so I know what's going in and what's coming out, and because uh, they even went so far, Marty, too. Uh, they they block they were blocking the emails that I was supposed to be getting from the court, so I wasn't getting oh. what they were sending in. So that was another reason why I had to file with the federal feds and file with the district attorney because somebody within the court system where the e-file system was working was blocking my email. Matter of fact, I had called several times with the attorney. Uh, with the appeals court, and she had my email the first time because when I talked to her, she was like, we got your email. I was receiving documentation. All of a sudden, I wasn't receiving anything, but I would go out and look on the online, and I would see something there. And I was like, well, where did that come from? Call her back. She repeats my email, but it's all scrambled up. I was like, that's not my email. So she changes it, right? But I'm still not getting it. And I'm like, wow. no, 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 no. So I call again, come to find out. Somebody went back in there and changed my email again. She to a wrong email. <laughs> well, the thing to is, the wrong what, email. I know about, those, what I know about those uh, systems that are the way they're set up is um, – if somebody got into the system, they have to sign in. And then there is a log mm-hmm. kept of everywhere they went within the system and at what time they did. Uh, so it's yeah. easy enough for them to find out who went in there and changed that email. 
and I think I think that the, uh, because I had requested that they uh, ask to find out and do an investigation because that's where the felonies are coming into because you're intercepting okay. my emails and right. you don't have the right to be intercepting my emails and if it had even gotten where the I had filed when I first filed my notice of appeal through e-file. Right after I file, I get a, I get a, I get the thing back and tells me that it was returned. Well, it's the first time that I had gotten an e-file that says e-file was returned. Either you, you get one that says submitted and then the other one will say accepted, but never returned. Uh-huh. And it didn't have a name on it, but it says filer. The reason was the filer requested it. And I'm saying, I request my notice of appeal to be returned to me. So somebody had returned my notice of appeal but didn't know that I had already talked to the district court and he had pulled it and had accepted it. So I was talking to one of the attorneys with the Office of Attorney General and he sent me an email. And he made some kind of statement, didn't know that I knew that they must have been involved in having somebody to send me that return and thought that they had gotten it done, but didn't realize that I had gotten it accepted. This wow, is what wow, I'm wow. saying about the how far that they will that, that they are going and that they could care less. So even in all of this, Marty. I I talked to the attorney again just last week, and I asked him uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I, I sent this in, in an email, and I said, I'm going to ask you for the last time, are you telling me that you're going to break the law and keep me off the ballot? And his answer was, I said what I said. Oh, I haven't got the balls to admit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good Lord. So, basically, he didn't care that he was breaking the law. But he also didn't understand that I can file felony charges on you now, though. Because that's a felony. Because you're breaking the law. And you're literally working with court clerks and asking them to do things and changing my court case dates and times and, and and judges. And I'm like, you know, this is criminal. Because if you can right. just go in here and manipulate this, then how how, uh, how many others have they done this to? Where people have either been put in prison because they've done some of this trick of the trace or they call it, you know, their little trick. You know, and I said, well, I'm not, that's not funny to me. I says, because I'm real disturbed at the fact that we have a judicial system that is being manipulated by attorneys. And when they can't win, that they're willing to break the law. Oh, yeah. To do what they have to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a huge movement to disbar the Bar Association, which I think is an excellent idea. And, but these people have done more to undermine uh, justice, if you want to call it that, in this country, uh, 
um, what we've caught them doing many times, Deidre, is uh, they'll go in. They're the ones that create statutes and codes and everything and all of that, they, they, uh, like in guardianship. And the minute they get winded, you know, we're complaining about something. They go in and squeak the statutes and uh, mm-hmm. so that you can't do anything. But they, I think, represent the da- biggest danger to what we call democracy. And democracy, by def- definition, is mob rule. And the mob right now is the Bar Association. And um, mm-hmm. they just absolutely have destroyed anything resembling justice in this country. Uh, they pre- create special privileges for themselves to excuse themselves from law-breaking, uh, you know, doing all sorts of things. The things that if you or I did, we'd be sitting in prison. But they, mm-hmm. you know, they somehow either have immunity or um, it needs to be overlooked. Oh, it was just a mistake. No, it wasn't. It was intentional. And mm-hmm. um, I, I think they're dangerous. I think it's uh, the the idea of the Bar Association, they're a monopoly. And they've monopolized yeah. our courts. We've got a caller here. Hang on a second. I think I know who mm-hmm. this is. Hello, you're live and on the air. Area code 703. Hello? Area code 703? I can't. I don't know what that is. I can't. I can't get it to come through, Deidre. There's a lot of interference on that. So I thought I knew who that was, but apparently not. Uh, But... Let me see if I can get that up again if it's cleared up any. Area code 703. Oh, we're not getting anything. Okay. Yeah, I hear something as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Uh, so anyway, but it's just, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about that. And there's a lot of groups out there devoted to that and everything. But the worst part of it is... Nothing's going to happen. Um, They're too powerful. They've taken over too much. They write the laws to benefit themselves. Many times they've been caught openly laughing about they can do whatever they want. You can't touch them. And, um, uh, you know, the, the reputation that members of the Bar Association have gotten for basically being bottom feeders is well earned. And which leaves mm-hmm. a few good attorneys that are out there that try to represent people and do their job, leaves them in a very suspicious position. And um, but it just it needs to go. It's a danger to all of us. And what you're facing here, listening to this, and these attorneys going back and forth with the judges, you know, with other people, and rigging this against you, openly breaking the law. They're doing right. it without any fear of of re- repercussion. Who's going to hold them accountable? Nobody. Right. Right, because, I mean, the judge, you know, I'm saying, wait a minute, judge, you just just ruled on a case that you didn't have jurisdiction on. Right. The attorney misled you in a court of law, lied to you, and told you that he had a document that he did not have. You didn't ask for it. They didn't ask for it in the court. 
to to make sure before she moved on, just went ahead and ruled anyway. And then you contact me, you tell me, you know that now that he didn't do what he's supposed to do. But instead of you signing my final order, making them put me on the list, or, or, or making them not do what they shouldn't do, you ignore that, and you just close my case. Right. I mean, how do you, how do you trust systems such as this? I mean, I, I mean, I've all, you know, I'm already having uh, issues in the first place. You know, when I have to deal with the medical malpractice, because, you know, I know right. the same stuff was occurring. So right. at some point, you're sitting here asking yourself, you know, how is the judicial system working for us? Because it's it not, you know, even to the point now where you're looking at a Supreme Court that is going back in time and changing laws that have been on books for decades. And then, because you would think that the Supreme Court is supreme, that it is the end. And what they say is the end. But then if you can defy law, if you can change it at your whim, I'm like James Madison said, you know, that's not law. That's a, you know, it's, that's, yeah. that's a, you're breaking it. Yeah. Okay? It's a crime. But who do you make, how do you make them accountable when the the governor of the states appoints right. all of these people to all of these entities? How do we get past that? Exactly. And we no longer, in Texas, we no longer have a public, uh, Integrity unit because, you know, uh, Rick Perry took that away, you know, because he didn't want nobody to file on him for his business. Somebody has to be responsible and accountable. But we're living in a world right now where nothing, nothing is working right now. You know, everybody's doing whatever they want to do. Yes, we we're we're living yes. in a lawless nation. The law well, is not the law. Only, no, it only applies to you when they could use it against you, and uh, right. otherwise it's non-existent. Right, and and for me to have used the law that Greg Abbott wrote, that wasn't my that wasn't the intent. So they're upset with me. Because I figured out your game. And now that I'm I'm not making up anything, you know what I'm saying? I'm not breaking any law. I'm actually using the law that you wrote. And this is what the Supreme Court says. You can't get upset with the language that you chose. You chose the language that a person can do blank, blank, and blank. And this is what you can do. Now that people are finding out the same loopholes you used to get on the ballot, you don't want us to use that loophole because it wasn't meant for us to use. It was only for their intent. 
Yes. And now that we're learning the ropes, you know that they're going to be trying to go in now, like you said, and change the the rules of the game. But here's what I tell people. This is what I'm going to tell anybody that's listening. We know where the end is now, right? So if they start a new beginning, don't start from the beginning. Start where they put, just put that little dot and figure out how it works. You don't have to go right. back and try to figure out how a whole computer works if you already know from, you know, you've taken it apart, you know where it starts. So if it breaks down again, you don't start from the beginning. You start where it broke down at. And it's going to be the same thing with the laws that they're changing. And you try to figure out how to use that law to get what we need to get. Because we don't have to break the law. All we have to do is use the law that they wrote. And see, that's when they get upset with you because they don't ex- they expect for you to come from emotional, you know, from an emotional standpoint. Right. Right. They want me to, you know, that's what they were looking for. They wanted me to be emotional, you know, and uh, right. and what I said on my paperwork. But when I was writing these briefs, I can just tell you that just God just was working. Uh, if I tell you he's the attorney in the courtroom, he's the attorney in the courtroom. Because I can tell you I have no idea how I'm, I'm learning and how I was able to write what I needed to write and get case law and get what I needed to get my cases into these courtrooms. And to be able to be sitting now in appeals court with a writ. Ooh. That's so, quite an accomplishment. And just and just yeah. waiting for them to decide what are you going to do? Because all I'm telling them, if you deny me, that's fine. Because I can go to the Supreme Court. So they don't right. see. So basically, they're playing games with a sitting game. They're just sitting. But if uh. we don't even really know whether or not. I'm not going to even be on the ballot. That's the crazy part because they won't even, the list is not even out. Now they said, well, you can go online, but online is not really telling you who you're going to put on the ballot. I'm asking you for the the list. If my name is on that list, I want to see it. If my name's not on that list, I want to see it. See, they don't want me to even know. Right. Because... If I get the list too early, guess what? I can get out there and campaign. But if right. they don't give me the list, then guess what? Then I won't have the opportunity to get my name out there like they think so. <laughs> you know, and basically yeah. that is probably what they're doing anyway because they know that they really can't keep me off because once they do, guess what? We still have the, the power. We can sue you individually now. So if you go and you do it afterwards and and the election starts to come, we can we coming after you. Because now it becomes a civil rights issue. Wow. And so, you know, if they're willing to, to, to go to jail, because at some point somebody's gotta be handcuffed. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? And, and guess what? They're going to go after the little guys. 
You know they go they go they gonna go after the little guys first. Once they start talking to them clerks, them clerks are gonna start what? Talking and whistling. Yep. Yep. And then other names gonna come out. Because they're not going to want to go down by themselves. Exactly. So that's the, one of the reasons why I filed on those clerks. I was like, I'm filing on you too. Because you all are working in conjunction with these attorneys, and you guys are causing me to not be able to get a fair trial or a fair case. Matter of fact, I can't even get anything done because you're changing my stuff underneath the cover and feeling like you have the authority to do stuff. That's insanity. Not so much authority, but the ability to think that they can do this and get away with it. So what are you going to do even if you catch me? You know, I mean, that's the right. latitude, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why yeah. you file charges. Right. Now, whether or not they do something about it, at least you know <laughs> she filed. Now. Somebody's going to hear about it. And whether or not they tell me, I bet you anything. My, I bet you, like I tell them, I might not be in the room, but I bet you my name is. <laughs> <laughs> now, there you go. There you go. now, my name uh-huh. is in that room. Now, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, my name in that room. You can better believe they know who Deirdre Gibbon is. <laughs> and they've been knowing who I was. They've been knowing me from back in the time, fighting for Jocelyn and fighting for these other people going through medical malpractice. So, you know, right. as much as people think that I'm not involved in politics, I might not have been seen on the on the you know on the surface, but I've been right. out there. Yep. And I can tell you, yep. those that are in Washington D.C., I've been getting I have got calls from Washington D.C. They were trying to tell me to step down. Really? They didn't want me to run. Yes. Why? I was, I don't, they didn't want me to run. Uh-uh. No. Because I'm messing up stuff. But oh. I would have. I would have been. I think I would have been more respectful of the parties had they respected me enough. To, to sit down with me and say, you know, this is what we're all about. This is what we need to do. You know. Yeah. We really need to help. But instead, yeah. they chose to treat me like a dog. That's all I could call it. Wow. That's just... Uh... And I mean, you know, and literally I'm talking about a herd dog, the ones that they beat up and chain up. <laughs> you know, and kick. Yeah. Not the ones that are at home, you know, with the little cute little tutus on and stuff. Not that one. You know. <laughs> not that so, one. <laughs> uh, not that. So, you know, so I'm saying that they didn't respect me as a person, Marty. They didn't right. care who I right. was. Now, I keep telling them, you know, I know that I'm, they thought I was inadequate. Oh, but that's not what it is. That's not it. Yeah. They understood that I was powerful and I didn't make that up. That was, that came from some 
author that wrote that. But that was it, you know, because they knew that I had something. And just like you said, if they weren't afraid that I could take this election, then why didn't you just embrace that? Right. So either there's some racism up in here somewhere. Oh, surely not. And it had to be. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Because even with Stacy, you know, and I tell people, I said, Stacy Abrams, I said, if you just look at it, you know, the Democratic Party didn't embrace her either. Nope. And the only reason why she's endorsed is because nobody ran against her. Right. Hold on. But we have she's got... not getting any support. She's not getting the support she needs from, from the Democratic Party. Nope. No. Hold on, Deidre. We got a caller. Okay. Uh, hold on a second here. Let me get this queued up. Area code 845. You're live and on the air. Hi, that's me. This is Elizabeth. I've been listening in. Yes. I'm very impressed with Deirdre. Uh, is it Dinkins Gilbert? Yes. Dinkins Gilbert? Well, Mrs. Gilbert, yes. I'm I'm very, I'm, I think you're another American hero coming up here. Um, uh, you know, if we don't, if we don't have enforcement of our laws, then we just don't have any laws. And that's what we're right. up against in the, in the various ad, advocacy communities. And I think maybe you can just start another community because if it's happened to you, it certainly is probably happening all over the country where people are stepping up to the plate and trying to change, you know, the faces of these politicians you know, uh, trying to get rid of some of the attorneys, not that they're all bad or anything like that, but we want some lay people with different backgrounds and skills to come up, and if they're going to be met with this kind of abuse and and discrimination, oh, my gosh, I mean, everything is, does everything have to be rigged? I mean, I can't even believe it, what what you're up against, but I hope you persevere, and I hope you prevail. I mean, this is the only way we're going to change things is if we just continue, you know, no matter what the obstacle, just step on them and keep going. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in shock, and I'm disappointed, disappointed. It's disheartening, you know, to think that all across America people are trying to uh, get into different types of elected positions, and they may be meeting up with the same obstacles. And the same fraud and the same corruption mm-hmm. and the judges are facilitating it. That's just basically yeah, how yeah. it works. Judges are facilitating all of these atrocities, whether yep. it's in, you know, the uh, criminal court, the uh, family court, the probate court, tribunals, whatever they are. These, these, someone's letting this happen, and and there's no oversight, no enforcement, no. I mean, it's just a shame, but I really mm-hmm. give you a lot of kudos and respect for what you're doing, and I, like I said, I hope you persevere and prevail in the end. Thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, you know, it's not an easy task um, because several times I really wanted to give up because I just didn't think that anybody really cared. And then, you know, and then I just think about myself. You know, I'm a constituent of this, this state. You know, before I'm anything else. So, if anything, I deserve better than what I'm getting. 
And so the fight is not just for me, but the fight is just for everybody. Because just as you said, we are in some turbulent times. And I mean, people are starving to death. You know, people's houses are being taken. You know, the businesses are being overthrown. And I mean, if you just look at what's going on in the world right now, we're not going to make it. No. We're not going to make it. Because we are in what I consider punishment phase. And and they don't really care what they do to us. It's almost like no. at all costs, I'm going to do whatever I can to put so much fear into you that you're going to do what I say to you, and you're going to bow down, and we're going to do what we're going to kick you, and we're going to strangle you, we're going to knock you out, and you're going to just sit there and take it. And as I was telling you earlier, Marty, a lot of people, I am not a Trump fan. I'm not Me neither. saying, but, but I listen to the hearts of the people. And if we figure out what to listen for instead of looking at what they're doing, then you may understand why we're in the predicament that we're in. Because it's not just the people that are doing this crazy stuff, burning, because that just didn't happen in the White House. It happens in our neighborhood. When they get upset, they burn down stuff. Because what is happening? Nobody is listening to the cries of the people. And the people are tired. And when we can't get what we want by doing what? By going to court, by trying to be nice, trying to sit down at the table. Martin Luther King said that himself, that at some point, direct action is going to occur when you stop listening. Right. And that is what is going on in this country right now, and not just in the United States of America, but you can look across the country and you can see the devastation that's occurring because our government will not listen to the cries of the people. And we're tired they don't care. of you what? That's what I'm saying. But we're tired. We're tired of you doing what? Taking people's houses, guardianship. You're taking people's families. You're taking people's, you know, life-saving. Children. You're putting people in prison for, you know, for no reason at all. You're, you're just, you know, you're taking food. What country you know have to go buy the law for some baby formula? It's not wrong with you. <laughs> when did babies not have to eat? Yep. So we're suffering in a government who is losing its grip. And now they are doing whatever they think they can to keep us down. Yes. But I'm just going to say, it's not going to change until we say something. And I'm saying something, and I want other people to, you know, to pick up the phone and say something. Say you're wrong. You cannot just do this, you know. But I got to have the voices. Excuse me, Marty, am I still on? Yes. 
Yes, yes, you are. I, I, I just had I just had another question. I don't know if I missed it. I, I've been tuned in since the beginning, but I may have zoned out for a minute or two. Um, do you have any media coverage on what's going on? Have you attempted to ask the media to cover, you know, mm-hmm. what you're up? They won't. They won't touch it. Oh, they won't touch it. They will not touch it. There was no attorney that would help you. Well, that that makes perfect sense. But I was wondering if no. there was any media that would be interested, especially no. because the you know the claims about voting and all of that. I mean, mm. <laughs> well, you have to understand something too. Um, just recently, TV stations, radio stations have been bought off by hedge funds. Right, so. Right. Where there used to be a lot of autonomy for them to to do what they need to do, if you just if you just pay attention no, no. to that, you will notice that a lot of uh, journalists and news reporters are leaving. Right. You yeah. know. Oh. Uh, right. And that's the reason why, because they have hedge funds, people who, you know, that bottom line is money. So, right. I don't have a whole lot of money. Right. right. So. They're not looking well, even if they to get give me anything. To, to cover, you know, someone independent, someone who's maybe out there already in that arena, in the, you know, political arena, electoral stuff that goes on. I don't know. I mean, I have I asked. Exposure. Yeah. Exposure, the exposure so would happen, but I believe that they're paying them so much money or they're paying, they're doing something because, they're too close to the election. Mm-hmm. Our yeah. election is November the 8th. They're too close. So they don't want any negative publicity at all because that would destroy both parties straight down. Right. So they're, you know, they're paying, you know, why do you, that's why they're having all these news uh, ads, more news ads than I've ever seen in any kind of gubernatorial election. You know, so, yeah. I mean, they spend millions, I mean, millions and millions of dollars. So you think they're going to care about Miss Deirdre Gilbert, you know, with her $123,000 that she just spent uh, <laughs> on the campaign as opposed to, you know, $20 million, $50 million. Yes. They don't care about me. No. Now, if I had some <laughs> money, they may. And then they may not. They may take your money and then go ahead and take the other people's money because they give them more than what they took from you, and you get nothing. Oh. So that's where I am. You know, uh, I've asked people. You know, I've talked to people. You know, people would say that they know somebody, and then that person doesn't respond, or they, you know, they don't want to get involved in the political process. Oh. They're afraid to to say something because if they say something, then they may be uh, blackballed and, you know, um, so that's what well, we're dealing we, with. We need more courageous well, you know, people all of, like yourself. I agree. And this last mm-hmm. presidential election and all this screaming about they stole the election, all that happened was the Democrats outstole the Republicans. They both do it. They have done it. If you didn't yeah. get a clue during Bush 2 <clears throat> with the Diebold and Sequoia voting machines, 
I was one of those people yeah. who went in the voting booth, cast my vote, and saw it flip to Bush. Went out and told the poll worker. So did several other people. He said, well, what do you want me to do? Uh, excuse me, it just flipped my vote. Um, but and you can't examine those machines. You can examine every uh, gambling machine in Las Vegas. By law, you have to have them accessible so they know they're not rigged. But you cannot look at the programming for a voting machine. And then you have attorneys called bundlers who buy all the death certificates, the people under guardianship who were allowed to keep their right to vote. They lost everything else. And uh, But they buy all those names and addresses, and they bundle them and sell them to both political parties. And that's how dead wow. people vote. And, wow. Uh, that, well, I saw something that, yeah, they, on television. I saw yeah. some documentary on about this voting, these voting booths. And yeah. it was very disturbing that yes. they said that they can happen to these voting things from, you know, yes. from virtual, from somewhere else, uh, because they mm-hmm. all have to use, they use computers. And right. the computers can and the be thing is, into. That's right. And when they say they, you know, examine the machine and did a recount, all the computer can do is give you the same result it gave you the first time. That's all it can do. And mm-hmm. so that's all a, just a big public show there. Um, I I don't believe none of them. I refuse to vote anymore until they clean this up. I'm not wasting my time. And uh, <laughs> I'm not, we're just going to get another crook well, or criminal in there anyway. I'm going to be voting. If my name is not on the ballot, I don't think I'm going to There gonna you be go. <laughs> there you go. I'm not going to vote <laughs> for the first time there in history. Go. It'll be like, yeah, I'm not here. anybody my vote. Yep, same here. Same here. I've only got a few minutes left here. Uh, Elizabeth, thank you for calling in. Deidre, this hey, has been very informative. I want to remind everyone this show is brought to you in coordination with the whistleblowerlife.com, the new website going up, um, and Marcel Reed, and you can reach Marcel at marcel at whistleblowerlife.com or use the chat option on the site. The site is under construction, so, you know, things are minimal at the moment. We intend to build it. So just hang with us. If you have any important information, if you have a case, if you're a whistleblower, please feel free to get a hold of Marcel. Anyway, uh, Deidre, thank you so much for coming on this evening. I know it was short notice, but I do appreciate it. And hopefully we can do more with you. If anything comes of this, do let us know. and Because uh, we've had a full studio board. And there's been a lot of people listening to this. So um, let's see what happens here. Everyone, thank, thank you. you for tuning in tonight. We've just had a bang-up crowd. Uh, I'm surprised all of you sat so quietly, and I'm sure we had some lurkers there. <laughs> and you know how I feel about that. Don't lurk and listen. and uh, Tune on in. You know, Dial on in. We'll talk to you. We're nice people. Uh, I am to a point, but I have a breaking point. And um, so you want to be careful there. But anyway, everybody have a good evening. We'll be back tomorrow night. Patsy Grant will be our guest on the guardianship shows and we will talk to you all then good night everyone